Amen, indeed. Thank you very much, Kyle, for leading us in those songs of worship. It is good to be worshiping with you together this morning. Uh, but before I speak, I'm just going to dismiss all of the kids ages 2 to 6. I got it right. Look at that. We're learning every time. Uh, you can head on downstairs for Children's Church. You want to follow my wife, Alyssa, there. Nathan was, uh, Nathan was talking to me, uh, one of the ushers, Nathan Waldner. He, he said he had a joke for me to share, so I'll start with that. He said, in the bulletin it had said, uh, this is a bring your own candle service. So some of you maybe missed the memo, but you also missed the memo about bring your own chair. So <laughs> it is, uh, thanks Nathan. It was, I thought it was funny. It's full in here. I love it. It's really good. Today we celebrate victory. Today we celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, today we proclaim that death has been defeated and it has no hold on us. Today we are filled with a living hope. Along with Paul, we can say, Oh death, where is your sting? Because Jesus is alive and I say, He is risen. We'll do it again. He is risen. Thank you. I'm excited. In teaching us in our pastoral ministry class, my professor, uh, the president of SBC, Rob Reimer, he challenged us by saying that everything we do throughout the year in our churches should point to and build toward Easter Sunday. We should be making at least twice as big a deal about Easter as we do about Christmas. The fact that Jesus died and rose again in three days is absolutely central to our faith. So really today should be the biggest celebration. And you know what, honestly, it feels, with all of you here, it feels like that. Maybe we don't always get it though. Maybe we don't necessarily always succeed at that. And perhaps it's because our society gets all excited about Christmas, right? It, it may be because angels and shepherds and, and a cute little baby Jesus are easier to stomach than cowardly disciples, betrayal, and battered, beaten, and crucified Jesus. Never mind the doubt that surrounds the resurrection. So sometimes I think as a church, we have a little bit of focus shifting to do. Today is the answer to where we left off on Thursday night. If you were here for our Thursday evening service, you know that it ended in silence. It ended in darkness. As the last candle was extinguished, the last words spoken found in Luke. I'm going to read them for you. They're probably up on the screen already. Luke 23, verse 46. We ended like this. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And we snuffed the last candle on this cross. Staying there is sad. Staying in that place of darkness, I don't like that feeling. Can you imagine, just take yourselves back for a moment, how the disciples must have felt. Here they thought that Jesus would make them rulers. And they even fought about it 
where would I be seated? Where can, can I sit next to you? Right? You remember that? And now they see him beaten and killed. How utterly hopeless must it have felt? But as human beings, I think we've all kind of experienced that. We fight against that hopelessness. We fight against that darkness. There's something inside all of us that fights against death. This is not how it should be. This is not the way it was meant to be. But what would today be like if that is where it ended? I can tell you this much. If that's where it ended, I would not be up here. The only reason I'm standing before you in the role that I have here at PV is is because the message of the gospel, the eternal hope I have in Jesus Christ, if it were not for the resurrection, I would never have gone to Bible college. I would certainly never have gone to study the Bible over pursuing an engineering career and an education at the University of Manitoba if I hadn't felt the call of God to ministry when I was at SBC. I would not have recognized that call if it were not for the day that I was confronted with the sorry state of my heart in desperate need of salvation when I was a teenager in my youth and back when I was a kid in Sunday school and back when I was in Awana and even further back at a crusade understanding the gospel for the very first time from, believe it or not, Uncle Harold. How many of you know who Uncle Harold is? Puppets. He's a ventriloquist a children's ministry entertainer, and I understood the gospel from the, for the very first time from the mouth of a puppet. Sometimes I wish that I had understood the gospel in a more glamorous and exciting way. You know, it doesn't sound very good if you say Elmo taught me about Jesus, but it's true. The message of the gospel gripped me in that moment, and I knew that I was a sinner in need of grace. And I would not have been there I would not have all of that if my parents hadn't been committed to following the ways of Jesus. And if they hadn't longed to raise me in understanding his ways. And my parents wouldn't have done that for me if they hadn't heard and accepted the message of Jesus. And on and on we trace that line back through history. Back to the Apostle Paul, who was called by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And back again to the Holy Spirit being released at Pentecost, which would never have happened if Jesus hadn't returned to heaven, which would never have happened if Jesus was never resurrected from the dead. In one way or another, for many of us, it all points back to the day that we are celebrating today. Assuming the rest of human history would have hummed right along in the same path somehow, which I don't foresee how that possibly could even have happened, so much of our lives would be completely and utterly different if it were not for the resurrection. The way we live our lives today, the reason, the reason why we're in this building, in this morning, is connected to the resurrection. So this morning, appropriately, we're going to revisit the resurrection of Jesus and, and hopefully be reminded of how pivotal it is to our faith Is the resurrection really that important? You see, from the beginning, there there have been many who doubted. In fact, even the disciples had a hard time believing what happened. The Roman soldiers immediately started telling people that the body was stolen. And many people 
today prefer to listen, still listen to their lies rather than believe the story as those who witnessed it recorded it. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe there is anything supernatural about Jesus, about his birth or his death. Yeah, you know, a lot would say he had some good ideas, yes. But that's about the extent of it. Some who call themselves Christians even strip the story of Jesus of anything supernatural and claim that that doesn't change the power of the gospel. Is the message of Jesus just as effective if the resurrection is simply a myth made up by the apostles? What about you? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? To begin, let's first jump back into the Old Testament, into the book of Psalms. We've been privileged uh, here at PV over the past uh, two Sundays. We have had guest speakers, and so maybe you've already forgotten that we are actually in a series in the book of Psalms. Uh, But this Sunday, we're taking a break from that. Uh, But I am going to start in the book of Psalms because we find something interesting here. But perhaps you're wondering, why are we heading into the book of Psalms to strengthen our understanding of the resurrection? I mean, the Psalms were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. What do they have to do? What do they have to say about the resurrection? We'll get there. But, but for now, if you want to follow along, you can turn with me to Psalm chapter 16. And we'll start at verse 8. It says this, David wrote this psalm. And he writes, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful, or in some translations it says, holy one, see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Perhaps you read this and you think, oh, good, you know, David has found hope again. You know, well, it's, if you read the Psalms, that's how it often is. You know, oh, I'm so sad, everything sucks. And then Jesus is like, oh, I mean, God, it's my hope, right? But this, this is, in fact, one of the prophecies of the resurrection of Jesus found in the Old Testament. If you want further proof of this, all you need to do is turn to Acts chapter 2 and read Peter's first sermon after the Holy Spirit descended on him and the rest of the disciples. Let's, we're going to go there and read it. It's not going to be up on the screen, so if you want to, it's, I'm going to read a bit of a chunk of it. So we're going we're gonna to flip over to Acts chapter 2. After the Holy Spirit has descended on him, Peter preaches his first message, and here's what he says in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he quotes Psalm chapter 16. 
as proof of fulfilled prophecy. And he continues giving evidence. We already read Psalm 16. I'm going to continue in in verse 29. He says, Fellow Israelites, Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. If Jesus didn't actually rise from the grave, then Peter is telling a lie, and the prophecy is not fulfilled. The Old Testament is full of prophecy of the Messiah. These prophecies give stunning detail regarding the birth, life, and death of the one who would be the Savior. What is recorded of Jesus proves that he was who he said he was. And not only did did the Old Testament write prophecies, as I said, Jesus himself alluded to the fact that he would rise from the dead a number of times. At at Lazarus' tomb, right before Jesus demonstrated his power over death by raising him from the dead, Jesus says to Martha in John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Many times throughout his ministry, Jesus speaks privately to his disciples about his death and resurrection. In Matthew 16, 21, again, right after Peter recognizes Jesus as the Son of God, we are told, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So, first of all, Jesus' resurrection is crucial because it fulfills prophecy. The message of salvation stands firm on this truth. If Jesus did not rise back to life, then he failed to fulfill these prophecies, and then we are ultimately still waiting for a Messiah. Secondly, the resurrection is not to be ignored because there is strong evidence supporting the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If you want to, we're going to turn to the account. It's not going to be up on the screen again. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. And here we find the account. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe 
They did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Culturally, there's some fascinating stuff that shows up and shows us uh, God's character in this context. Sometimes we miss it. We don't understand it. You see, if the apostles had stolen the body, you would think they would have done a, me- a, much, a much better job of arranging the scene. Because if, you wanted the- if they had wanted their claims to be believable, they would have done things quite differently. I mean, why would you have the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, the ones who bring the news to everyone else, be women? I know that sounds crazy right now. But in those days, you need to remember, a, women, a woman's word held absolutely no weight as evidence. If the apostles wanted the story to be believable by the Jewish standards of the day, then certainly they would have had a group of men tell the tale, would they not? But just as God continues to show his character through Jesus, he again is always about lifting up those who are marginalized and brought low by society standards. He chose, if you remember the story of his birth, lowly shepherds looked down upon to announce his arrival for the first time. And I believe it was perfectly his plan for the tomb to be discovered empty first by a group of ladies. And after the tomb was found to be empty, Jesus appeared to a number of people. All of the Gospels contain varying accounts of Jesus talking to, eating with, and being touched by the disciples. But even with these accounts from eyewitnesses themselves, many still seem to think that it's not enough. That being said, the proof by early history standards are overwhelming, and they simply can't be ignored. For me, though, I think one of the strongest proofs and the biggest evidence of the significance of the resurrection shows up in the marked difference of the disciples before and after the resurrection. So thirdly, it changed the apostles. When Jesus is arrested, all of his disciples flee. None of them stay by his side. Before Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples are recorded as afraid, hiding, denying that they ever knew Jesus. And after Jesus dies, the disciples are scattered. We know this because the women have to, they have to split up to find the disciples to tell them that Jesus is alive. And when they get together, they're still afraid. They lock the doors because they are scared. Suddenly, though, look at the transformation. Once Jesus has appeared to them, given them the Great Commission, and empowered them, I think this is key, empowered them by the Holy Spirit, they are completely different men. They proclaim the good news of Jesus boldly in the streets, right in Jerusalem, and they go out to tell people 
all people of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but tradition holds, and not all of this is recorded in the Bible, but all but one of them died a martyr's death. You're telling me that all of these disciples went from cowards, hiding and afraid, to being willing to die, often brutal deaths, for a lie? Does that make sense? They have to have seen something miraculous. It cannot be explained otherwise. At least I don't think so. So, what turns a group of cowards into a group of men willing to die for what they believe? I'd say it's the resurrection. It's having seen the risen Savior and knowing that death no longer had any power over them. It's being confident that they now have this connection to eternity through Christ. He has defeated death, and so they have nothing to fear. So why is the resurrection of Jesus central to our faith? Why can we not ignore it? Number one, it was prophesied. Number two, it was witnessed. And number three, it changed the apostles. So what does this mean for us? Dare I say it should mean everything? As the Apostle Paul writes in his lengthy defense of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than this, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. You hear that? Also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If, if only for this life we have hope in Christ if only for this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. I remember uh, when my grandpa passed away. I stood beside the casket looking at his body. And I was reminded of when my parents called me to tell me that he had died. I remember that phone call because I had an immediate sinking feeling. This can't be true. This can't be how it ends. Everything within me wanted to turn back time. But I was helpless. But there, standing beside his body, I was overcome with peace. As I recognized that was no longer him. He was no longer in that earthly shell. And I was filled with the victory that I have found in Jesus, that one day 
we will be reunited. It will probably be different than I think, yes. Probably more wonderful than I can comprehend. But I have faith that I'm connected to the resurrection of Jesus, as was my grandpa and others who've gone on before me. And because of that connection, we will see each other again. Do you have that hope today as well? That's what the resurrection does. We have a living hope. We are connected to Christ, and he is faithful to keep his promises. He fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament. He continues to work his plan of redemption out in our lives, and it's all through the power of the resurrection. This morning, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you have this hope, if the power of the resurrection is at work in your life, we invite you to come forward and place a candle on the cross. Place a candle in the hope that you will be reunited with those who've gone on before you. That together with Christ, we will not face the sting of death, but rather, we will be reborn. I'm going to invite the band to come back up to play a couple closing songs and and if it's your desire, there's no pressure, there's no judgment, but sometimes it feels good to respond, right? Then, I, then if you want to, um, and you didn't get the memo about bringing a candle, there will be extra candles uh, provided in the back. And I would ask that you would uh, leave your seats going out towards the back and then come down the middle and then return to your seats again around just so that we don't get too many collisions. And I want to close reading a psalm that we read together on Thursday evening. Psalm 118. It says this. Psalm 118, verse 19. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks for you answered me and you became my salvation. The stone the builders rejected, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today. Let us rejoice and be glad. Amen. To close, let me read from you Romans 15, verse 13, and it says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.